my favorite line, Rusty, is following Jesus, put the change on me. I love that. And it is so true. It is so true. It is so true. I have really enjoyed this series. Um, I want to catch you up very quickly. If you have missed any of this series, I do encourage you to go back and check check out the, any week that you might have missed. But it's been a good month talking about this. We have had such a great time digging into God's Word, finding out what He has to say about responsibility. In week one, we said that you and I, we're created for responsibility, and we're created to carry that load and to take care of that load of responsibility and to manage it well. And since we are designed by God to do that, then we are most happy in our lives when we are doing a good job of carrying and handling and managing the responsibility that we have in our lives. In week number two, we talked about how when we do not carry that responsibility that God has given us, when we fail to shoulder that responsibility, then eventually my responsibility ends up becoming someone else's responsibility and they have to carry my load for me. Because I did not. I didn't do it, so someone else is stuck with it. They have to carry that load. And that someone is someone who is connected to us, someone who is close to us. And so, in a sense, they are paying the price for being close to us because they end up carrying the load that we did not carry. Often, they have to come behind us and kind of clean up the mess that we created. Sometimes it's a financial mess. Sometimes it's a relational mess. But the fact is, they had to do something to come behind us and pick up the pieces that we left. Now, over the past two weeks, the last two weeks, we've talked about uh, this invisible principle that Paul talked about and described for us 2,000 years ago. It's a spiritual law that exists, and he did a great job of explaining that to us, and we looked at it for two weeks in a row. And we can, uh, we, we can like it or not. We can accept that principle or that law or not. We don't have to accept it, but that doesn't mean it goes away. It still is in existence whether we acknowledge the law or not. And the law is this. It says that we are going to harvest what we plant. It's going to happen. And that harvest is going to come later than when we planted it. And it's going to be greater, a greater harvest than we planted. And that principle can work for us if we're responsible. But if, if we are irresponsible, it's going to work against us every time. Ultimately, according to this principle, nobody gets away with it. You know what I'm saying? They don't get away with anything. They will, we will, I will, and you will harvest exactly what we plant, greater and later. All right. Now, most often um, for me and maybe for you too, our first reaction when we don't take responsibility for ourselves, my first reaction is usually to excuse it away, to make an excuse for why I didn't you know, do what I was supposed to do. I give myself a pass, actually, and I do it by playing the blame game. So here's the first thing McKinley's going to put on the screen for us. I want everyone around me to be responsible for their lives. That's what I want. But I tend to give myself a little more slack with my own life. Now, I want to be clear. 
Every so often, it is very possible that we could have some miserable aspects of our lives that truly are not our fault. I might be planting, having to deal with a seed that somebody else has planted, and I might be stuck with the harvest of a seed that someone else planted. It could be a seed that was planted by your parents. It could be a seed planted by a supervisor or a coworker or a friend, maybe a child. It doesn't matter, a relative. It could be a seed someone else planted, but you're stuck with their harvest, and it is unfair. It truly is unfair. So it is possible that I might be harvesting a crop that someone else has planted. And we just wanted to make sure we acknowledge that that is a truth. That can really happen. And again, we just want to say, when that happens, it is very unfair. But here's a harsh reality. So hang tight. Don't let me lose you on this, this comment. Hang tight. Hold on. It is a harsh reality because someone else's seeds that they planted could create for you and me a new miserable reality. It's not a reality that I created, nor is it a reality that I wanted, but yet I am stuck with it. I am still in this situation if that is what's happened. No matter how unfair that might be, I'm still in the situation. It is still a reality staring me at the face. And, and it's in times like this, and, and there, listen, those moments are rare, but they happen. And we could certainly and legitimately, we could blame someone else for, for that, for us having to harvest a crop that they planted. That could happen. And we could blame them legitimately saying, yep, that's your fault. Or we could blame the situation, you know, if it's not a person and just a situation as to why we find ourselves in this unfair place. But here is the hard truth, so hang on. If I continue down that path of just blaming that other person or that situation for this reality, that's very much kind of where Rusty found himself. He could have blamed for the reality that he was now facing in his life. But if we continue down that path of just blaming that person or that situation that brought that reality to us, if we continue to do that, if we continue to say, not my fault, it was your fault. Had you not done it, it's your fault, it's your fault. Here's the truth, listen. Blaming keeps me stuck in that reality. We could legitimately blame someone else, but it will keep me stuck right there where I am in that miserable reality. And I am once again just trapped in a cycle of this misery, and I can't get out. See, when I'm not responsible for the reality that I find myself living in, a reality that maybe I did not cause, blaming 
And pointing that finger continually at that other person or that situation only makes sure that I become angrier at that person, angrier at that, that reality. And I become more and more angry, more and more bitter. And it locks me in to that misery right there in that reality. And my present will be that misery and my future will be that misery. And as a result, the cycle continues. Because at its core, when I blame someone else, I'm saying that I'm not in control of my future. I can make no difference to my future at all. I have nothing to offer my future. I'm stuck in that because of you. That's what I'm doing. That blame keeps me stuck. And I'm saying I have no control over my behavior, over my future, over my decisions, over my reactions, over my responses. I have no control. Think about it. Blame says that you are capable of stopping this cycle, but not me. You're capable. In fact, if it's going to stop, it's up to you. I have nothing I can do. Therefore, blame lies to me. And blame tells me that I have no role to play, nothing I have to do. After all, I didn't ask for this. It's not my fault. After all, I didn't ask for my dad to walk off. I didn't ask for the company to go belly up. I didn't do anything to cause any of this. It's not my fault. But my reality is now different, not what I would have designed. And really, this whole line of thought is at the core of what we're talking about this morning. Our current reality, maybe it's not what I wanted to happen. Maybe not what I wished would have happened or what should have happened. But the reality is it happened. It really happened. So how do we respond to it? No matter if it's a difficult reality, no matter how difficult that happens to be, how do we respond to it? See, the truth is, I am the only one who can do anything about this. I really am. Even if it's not my fault, I'm the only one who can do something about it for my future. I'm the only one who can do anything about this problem. Nobody else. My reality, whether it's my fault or not, is now my responsibility. And I know that sounds harsh, but it's a reality. And I guess in the end, it all comes down to a question of control. Who ultimately has control? Hmm. Where we've tried to go with this series, this concept, is this. We are the ones who are in control of our own lives, and it is God's design. It's God's design. And yet we feel as if everyone else has control over my life. We say, oh, if that person would only do this, my life would be better. If my company would only treat me this way, my life would be better. 
If my coworkers would simply, or if my parents would have, or if my family would, if my spouse would just, if the government would only, then my life would be better. But since they won't, it's not. And I'll just remain in that cycle, stuck in that reality. If it's always up to someone else, when they don't, then I won't. So the real question is not how to make life fair, because we've seen life is not fair. In fact, God never promised us that life would be fair. Instead, God enacted this principle that we talked about for the past two weeks. So we need to ask a better question, a better question, which is this. What am I going to do with the cards that I have in my hand? In other words, what am I doing with my reality? What am I doing with it? As we've seen throughout this series, this is not a new question. It's not a new problem. It's, it's not something that is original to us or our current generations. In fact, Jesus taught about this principle 2,000 years ago, and he used a parable to teach about this. Now, Jesus did that a lot. He taught things in parables. And in all the parables, there's always something in that parable that represents God, and then there's something also in that parable that represents us. And Jesus used those parables to help make the point crystal clear. He wanted us to understand. In fact, well, well, there's a little caveat there. Sometimes he used them to confuse some people. Actually, if you read the New Testament, you'll find that to be true. In fact, though, this parable that we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be looking at something. He presents with this extreme uh, radical situation, and and he he kind of blows it up bigger to make it really kind of radical and, and, and kind of like, like a super story. And it's very, the story is very unfair. And yet Jesus doesn't try to make it fair at all. He's not worried about the fairness at all. Instead, Jesus is going to teach us in this parable that we're going to read, he's going to teach us to leverage what we have to use the cards we have been dealt as opposed to lamenting and getting bitter and angry over what we were not given. So we have a parable of Jesus, and we have it recorded here for us uh, by Matthew, who wrote it down. And Jesus told this parable just days before Jesus would be arrested executed, and then he three days later after that would walk out of the tomb alive. So if this happened just days before, listen, this was really an important thing he's talking about. And we're going to find this story, Matthew chapter 25. Uh, we're going to start with verse 14. We're going to just kind of read through this whole thing. Verse 14. Again, so Jesus speaking here, he's describing, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated. So he wants you to know what God's kingdom is like. All right. So it's the kingdom of heaven on earth and the kingdom of heaven in heaven. 
Here's what his kingdom is like. It can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip. And when he says long here, you'd think of it, long, 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 long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money, listen to this, don't miss it, his money to them while he was gone. Now, in case you have to leave early, let me kind of let you know where this is going. Um, in this parable, this man who's going on a long trip represents God and the servants represent us. So this man, he's setting up this story, this man who's God expects his servants, and that's me and that's you, he expects us to manage our responsibilities that he gives us. And the word here that is used is entrust. It's a little bitty word, but it has two huge meanings. Here's the first meaning of entrust. He's saying that this stuff, in this case money, that he's given us, this stuff he has given us is not yours. It's entrusted. So it's as if he's saying, God is saying, this is my stuff and you are going to manage it for me. It's mine. Don't be confused. God's saying it's mine, but I'm going to have you manage it. God is saying, I'm the owner. You are managing it for me. So that's the first huge thing that the word entrust means. Here's the second. As you manage what I have asked you to manage, God is saying, I expect you to do with it what I, the owner, would do with it. I'm entrusting you to handle it the way I, God, the owner, would handle it. You do with it what you think I would do with it. That's a big, big, huge meaning for that tiny word entrust, but that's what it means. So he's saying, I'm entrusting it to you. And here's what he did. Verse 15, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Now, I know we think, oh, poor guy, just one, <laughs> one bag of silver. That poor guy, he must feel horrible, horrible. The other two get more. That is not fair. There's nothing fair about that. Why don't we distribute that equally, God? But wait, just hang on. It gets worse. <laughs> then he left on his trip. Verse 16, the servant who received five bags of silver. Now, let me tell you what five bags of silver means. In today's money, five bags of silver would be about $1.5 million. All right. That's quite the responsibility in today's money. Nice, right? All right. So the servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and he earned five more. He doubled it. He turned $1.5 million into $3 million. Verse 17, the servant with two bags of silver, poor guy, he only got two bags of silver. But again, in today's money, do you know how much that is? about $600,000, right? 
So the servant with two bags of silver, he also went to work. And you know what he did? He earned two more. He doubled it. Wow. 50% return. That is huge. He doubled it. Verse 18, the servant who received one bag of silver, so quickly, the equivalent of one bag of silver, about $300,000 today, right? That is a lot of money. To, to any of us in this room, that is a lot of money, $300,000. And sure, it's not what the other two got, but still, that is sizable. That's enormous to take care of and to manage. That would floor any one of us today. That is huge. So God is really blowing this up. This is a big deal. Even the guy who only got one bag of silver, everyone listening to this story would have said, oh my word, one bag of silver, that's a lot. That's a crazy amount of money. And he entrusted him with that sizable amount of money. So what does he do with it? Well, here's what he did. He dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. Now at this point, as Jesus is telling this story, the people gasped. They had to have gasped when they heard this. And Jesus was a master storyteller. So he knew exactly how to take his listener and kind of get him on the hook and build up this story, get him on the hook. And he's got this crowd at the moment on the line. And Jesus is just about to set the hook with this story because no one, no one who was listening to Jesus describe this, no one who had, had never seen most of them that amount of money, no one. No one would have dug a hole and placed the money in the ground to bury that money. No one would have done it. They would have seen that as irresponsible. And so they know when they hear that that's what this guy did, that that was bad news. Even in that day, there was much better ways to deal with money than to dig a hole and put that amount of money in the ground. There was much better ways to safely invest that. In verse 19, after a long time, so you can exaggerate that word, after a long, 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 long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used whose money? His money. So, as he should, they expected him to return, and he did. And now, he wants to know what they did with his money. The master has entrusted the servants with this great responsibility, and now he expects a reconciliation. He wants to know what has transpired with my money that I've asked you to manage. Verse 20, the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, master, you gave me five bags of silver uh, to invest and I have earned five more. And the master was full of praise. He said, well done, 
my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. That's not a small amount, right? We just read that. That's huge. And so the people listening to Jesus are thinking that wasn't small. That was huge. It was enormous. $1.5 billion. That's, That's huge. But then the master goes on. So now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. And he says, let's go celebrate. Woo! Let's do it. Let's celebrate. The servant then, verse 22, who had received two bags of silver, he came forward and said, master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned you two more. And the master said, wow, well done. My good and faithful servant, you had been faithful in handling this small amount. Wait, wait, what? You said the last amount was a small amount. And he goes on. So now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. Now in my twisted mind, I'm thinking, wait, Jesus, wait, 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 wait a second. That's not fair. He gets more as well? What? Hold on. That guy had five and created five more. That's 10. He did a lot more work than this guy. He had more responsibility, more work. He, he did a lot more. And he's going to get the exact same reward? He's going to get more too? That, Jesus, that's not fair. Ah, now we're getting to the point of Jesus' story. You're right. It's not fair. And he never promised fair. Uh, this is so good. He's so good. Jesus says now to this second guy, the very same thing. Let's celebrate together. Okay, now, if this were a movie, at this moment, the movie soundtrack would get ominous. And the audience, they would kind of begin elbowing each other. Yeah, yeah, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. I know what's going to happen. They hear the music change. They know what's coming. They hear the score change. And they're just like, okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah, that was a setup. Here we go. It's getting ready to happen because they knew what was coming up next. Here we go. The servant with the one bag. Here's the master coming. And he goes out to the back and he quickly digs up the bag, the silver the one bag. And he, he runs up to Jesus, steps up to him, and here's what happens. Verse 24, then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, now, I, I kind of imagine this in this kind of whiny, blamey, complaining voice. And this guy actually blames the master, all right? He blames the master for his own irresponsibility, The servant blames the master for the servant's irresponsibility. Think about that. (laughs) That's so irresponsible. But isn't that what irresponsible people do? So here's the rest of the story. He comes up to Jesus with the one dirty bag. Master, I knew you were a harsh man. In other words... Dude, I know how tough you are. You are shrewd, a shrewd businessman. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. In other words, frankly, uh, boss, you're a little scary. You're a little scary, boss. 
And he says in verse 25, I was afraid. Listen, boss, because of you, I'm about to tell you that I have done absolutely nothing with your money. And here's the kicker, boss, it's your fault. Because I don't know if I mentioned this or not, boss, you're scary. And he says then, I would lose your money. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Now, in preparing for this series, I have read from and studied several, several sources. And one of those tells me that someone who... uh, who uh, about someone who has just been dealt a bad hand in life, something they didn't deserve, something they didn't earn. It just, they ended up with a bad circumstance, a bad reality. Someone else planted those seeds or something just happened. Truly not their fault, but a good psychologist within the first few minutes of visiting with this person can tell if it's going to take a long, long time for this person to get better, or if they ever will. So they can tell if it's going to be a long time, if they even ever will, or if that person is guaranteed to get better. And they can tell. You know how? Here's the simple way they know. If that person is willing to take responsibility for their own life, and their own future, even if what happened to them was unfair. They know that if somebody decides to accept their current responsibility for that current whatever's going on, I may not have caused that reality, but it is my responsibility to move forward in life. A good psychologist is going to be able to tell if healing is even possible for that person. So now back to the parable, to this guy who is not taking responsibility. He says now to the master, look, oh master, Here is your money back. Everything you gave me, here you go. It's all back. There you go. As if to say, here is exactly what you gave me. And it's your fault that there's not more. If you wanted more, You should have given me more than $300,000 to work with if you wanted more back. But the master obviously didn't buy it. Here's the master's response, verse 26. But the master replied, you wicked, translated worthless, you worthless and lazy servant. He calls him out. The root of the problem was irresponsibility. You didn't bury the money because you were thinking about me. 
ultimately you buried the money because you were lazy. You didn't care enough to even think about what I would do with the money, how I would handle the money. You could have at least, at the very least, you could have taken it to the bank. You have the nerve to blame me for your irresponsibility. Here's here's how, how he goes on. You lazy servant. If you knew that I harvested crops that I didn't plant and I gathered crops that I didn't cultivate, if that were really the reason that you buried it, you would have at least done this. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I would have gotten some interest. No, 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 no. That's not what you did. You didn't even do that. And now you have the audacity to blame me? And here's how he went on, verse 28. Then he ordered, the master ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. Breaks go on. Wait a minute, Jesus. Wait a minute. Jesus, this story doesn't seem fair. Shouldn't we give that money to the guy in the middle? Because now that would make things a little more fair, a little more even between those two guys. Wouldn't that be the right thing to do, Jesus? Give that money to him. But again, it's not Jesus' concern here about fairness. Jesus answers the question, verse 29, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. In other words, to those who have been responsible with what they have been given, they will be given more. And he goes on, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, in other words, those who have not been responsible, those who have been irresponsible with what they were given, he says, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, We already mentioned that the master in this parable represents God. God's issue was not what the servant had or what he did not have. That is not the issue. The master's only issue is what he had done with what he was given. It wasn't a question of fairness It wasn't a question of how he used it. How had he responded to the options that were available to him? That was the issue. How had the servant, each one, dealt with his reality? And God recognized. Listen, the excuse might be true. Hey, listen, I might be shrewd. I might be a hard businessman. I might be a tough boss. Those may have been legitimate excuses, but they didn't matter. They should have at least done something. In other words, there's no excuse. Now, our excuses might define and kind of describe the options that are available, but they don't take away our responsibility. We all have different areas in our lives right now at this very moment where we are one talent people. I have those areas in my life 
where I only got one bag. You've got areas in your life too. One talent in those areas. We all have them. And those are the areas usually where we are most afraid to make a positive choice in our life. But still, God expects us to take responsibility and to do it. Sometimes, bad things happen in our lives. It's a reality. But Jesus offers us help. And sometimes that help is just offering us a way through it and not taking it away and not making it fair. He gives us the resources and he requires from us responsibility. We are responsible to make choices. We are responsible to, to have results that will testify how well we have handled the responsibilities that were given to us. And let's face it, reality is what it is. Some of the reality that we experience in life are results of seeds we have planted ourselves. We talked about that for the past two weeks. Some of the reality we face are seeds that somebody else planted and we are stuck with. But we are responsible to take the reality we have, whatever that is, and do something new with it. We can't always choose the cards that we are dealt but we can create and seek and find a range of options to determine how we will respond to whatever has happened to us in our lives. We can choose how to play those cards that we have been dealt. I personally got a piece of information in my life, in the life of Harley, that for my close friends... In my, in my life, it would rock their worlds the very same way that this week it rocked my world. In fact, earlier to, to, to this morning, I didn't mean to, but in just a moment of just kind of how heavy this is in my life and in my heart right now, I just let out an audible gasp. And I realized I did that out loud. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't choose that. I didn't plan it. I didn't ask for it. I didn't plant that. It was thrust upon me. And other innocent people. And it is, for me, a new reality. And it would be so much easier for me just to blame somebody, some people. 
just to point my finger. Just, oh, it would feel good too. I'm going to tell you right now. I want to. I want, I want to so bad. I would like to right now tell you exactly what it is. I mean, I'd like to, I'd like to put it out there on the internet and just publicize it. Just blame, blame, blame. I want, I want to. In fact, I had to rewrite my notes because I was gonna. But it would do nothing. It would change nothing. That's the key. Listen to me. It would change nothing. And I would be stuck with, I've got the reality. I would be stuck with the misery of the reality. If I chose to do that, and I'm telling you right now, I'm still struggling. You and I, we all have different realities that we have been given. We all have different amounts of opportunities that we have been given from God as responsibilities. We all have different realities that have, in some cases, been thrust upon us. And it might seem unfair, but I have to just say it. It just is. It just is. That's the way it is. And we can certainly use this uh, uneasy feeling that we have as an excuse for our irresponsibility right now. We could use it as, a, as an excuse. This is their this one this is their fault. This, if they would just if they had of if they would have it's their fault. Or we can focus on our new reality, our cards that we have been dealt, and we can now use them as responsibly as possible. This morning, we've looked at a lot of scripture. I want to draw your attention one more time to one verse that we have here in this story. It's verse 19. After a long time, the master returned and he settled accounts. Please don't miss this implication. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do, then that means you believe, along with me, that there is a time ahead of us at some point that only God knows when that point is, a time ahead of us where you and I both will give an account for what we have done with what he has given us. 
And it can be an awesome thing, an amazing, wonderful thing. Or it can be a moment at the end of our lives where we try to excuse ourselves because of the cards we were dealt. They weren't quite as good as the cards that our friend from high school got. Their cards were a little better. So my life, I, I, they just we can excuse ourselves at that point. You see, we all have an amount of time, but we have uneven amounts of time. You might have longer than I have. We all have amounts of time, uneven though, amounts of time. We all have amounts of opportunity, but we have uneven amounts of opportunity. We all have been given some kind of abilities, but we have uneven amounts of ability. And to be a person that is taking responsibility for their life means this, that I am a person who's taking responsibilities for the opportunities, whatever they are, that come my way using the time that has been given me, the resources God has placed in my life, the abilities that he has given me. It's being responsible with all of that, not taking them for granted, not making excuses and not comparing myself to others. Here's our bottom line this morning, the statement that I hope sticks in your heart and rings in your ears. To whom something is given, something is required. To whom something is given, no matter how great, no matter how small it might be, something is required. Now, as we finish this series, let's get this. As a church family, as fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and grandfathers and grandmothers and aunts and uncles and friends and neighbors, as a church family, let's get this and let's get busy in our lives taking responsibility and doing something that is bigger than living our lives for ourselves. Let's pray. God, I have what I have. I have what you have given me, what you've allowed to pass through my life. I have only the opportunities that I have, the time, I have what I have, my resources, I have what I have, my abilities, I have what I have. God, I've got some, I've got some realities in my life that I planted my way into. I, I planted those seeds and those seeds are growing, and I've ended up in trouble in some of those areas because of those seeds. And God, I've got some other areas in my life where I am harvesting something someone else has planted, and I am stuck with the devastating results. 
God, whatever my reality, whatever reality of a person sitting in these seats today, standing in this room today, standing in the lobby or at their home listening, whatever their reality, whatever cards have been dealt, whatever we are holding in our lives, God, help us take responsibility for our future and not to use a reality that seems unfair to become an excuse for irresponsible decision-making right now. Help me take responsibility for my life right now, Jesus. And help me grow through it toward a better future. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.